Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from our guest speaker, Brent Allen, entitled The Power of One. In this podcast, Brent encourages us that the things that distinguish us aren't nearly as important as the one who unites us. So today you have a special blessing. Uh, Dr. Brent Allen is going to come and preach this morning, and I'll just give you a little bit of information about Brent. He doesn't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Brent, Brent studied at uh, Moody Bible Institute in uh, Dallas Seminary. He and his wife, Lori, have been married 37 years. Uh, they have three kids and seven grandkids. Brent is the, the district executive minister in our movement of churches for this area that we call Converge Northeast. It goes from Maine all the way down to New Jersey and, and uh, west through uh, into New York. Uh, and he has a ministry sort of like the Apostle Paul. He oversees this area. He, he uh, ministers to Christian leaders in the church and outside of the church, pastors and, and lay people. And we're just blessed to have him come and speak today. So Brent, thank you. Thank you, Clark. It's my honor to be here. Lori and I love coming up to Valley Brook. We, we love what God is doing in your church. We love your pastors. We love an excuse to go to Granville Scoop ice cream after the service and after the baptism. And, and I like to be able to drink coffee during my sermon, too. So there's just lots of advantages of being at Valley Brook today. And we're just so excited to be part of the baptism and see what God is doing in your midst. And, and uh, that will be a fun afternoon for us to share together. Now, I've got to go from that, though, to this, in that you know we live at divided times, don't you? I mean, you know the world is a challenge. You know that the world is a mess in many ways. And you know that we struggle even as a nation right now in division. I mean, the Democrats and Republicans aren't getting along. The Republicans aren't getting along with themselves very much. And our our country is in a very difficult, divided time. And... And yet, that's true of of a lot more than just our governments right now. Um, Families are divided. We see families that that split up and and families that no longer stay together. We see friends that that divide over issues. And and we see that churches, sadly, sometimes divide and separate from each other and, and don't want things to do with each other. As a matter of fact, this year marks the 500th anniversary of a great division of Christianity. Do you know that? About 500 years ago, a group of Protestants, Protestants, broke off from the Catholic Church and and started a a process that that really has also resulted in much division. I mean, not only was there a Catholic Church and an Orthodox Orthodox Church, but there became hundreds of different Protestant denominations and thousands of different groups where where we could be looked at as one of the reasons for division in this world today until we start to understand a truth that we're going to see from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. As a matter of fact, if you brought your Bibles, and I hope you do bring your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. If you brought your iPad or your smartphone, please turn it on and look at Ephesians chapter 4 today because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that, that frankly, I think we need to return to often, and we need to understand from it and in it that God is going to show us that he has given us unity in Christ that it's not up to us to to make unity, it's not up to us to create unity. As a matter of fact, while we would say that we live as divided people, I'm gonna tell you today that that we are united in Christ. And and that's what this passage is gonna tell us from Ephesians chapter four, verses one to six. I wanna read it for you. It says this from the Apostle Paul. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and this is the key, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. It says there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so all of a sudden, as you look at that passage of Scripture, as you've heard it read, as you see the words there, you realize that, that there is unity, there is oneness, there is this sense that, that Paul is just reminding us that we are one, not that we have to create unity, not that we have to conjure it up, not that we have to say, God, give us unity because there is none. And, and I've been in prayer meetings when people ask for that. I know what they mean because we don't live as one and yet this passage tells us that we are one in Christ. As a matter of fact, in the New International Version, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. In the New American Standard Version, it says, be diligent to keep this unity of the Spirit. And that was so important for the Apostle Paul to write at this time. Because the church of Jesus Christ that existed at that point had come together from two distinct groups of people. There were a group of people that had lived under a covenant relationship that God had established with, with the nation of Israel, the covenant that he made with Abraham to bless the entire world because of the nation that he would create through them. And, and when Jesus came into this world, he came preaching the kingdom of God to the Israelite people. He told them that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that God wanted to establish something incredible. And as God was establishing that kingdom, he came preaching to them to say, you need to be part of this. You need to believe that, that I am the Messiah, come to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. And, and as many people began to understand that, as Jesus preached and taught and lived, there was also this group of the rest of us outside of Israel. The, the Bible calls us Gentiles because we weren't part of that covenant community. I mean, my family comes from Germany and Ireland, and so, you know, there's this part of us that's really obsessive and this part of us that wants to dance. I mean, there's this, this weird dichotomy in, in my family of, of Gentile weird things mixed together that, that, that all of a sudden we see that God wanted to reach out to us, whether we're Irish or German or African-American or Ethiopian or whatever we might be, all of a sudden the gospel was presented to those of us outside of that nation of Israel. And, and that caused some issues because the people in Israel said, you know what, if you want to be good Christians, you should keep the law. And if you want to really have a standing with God that is even more important than just this entrance into the kingdom of Christ, then you need to do this and do that. And, and much of the New Testament tells us how to deal with that. Because just as Paul is writing here, he's saying there's only one church, there's one body, we're going to look at some of those details, but in chapter 2, in verses, I just turned the page here, in verses 14 and following of Ephesians, Paul talks about what Jesus did. It says, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He says, we're not Jews and Gentiles, we're, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus. We're part of one body. And it says, he has done that by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. It's a metaphor of, of how we are one in Christ in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. And therefore, we understand just in Ephesians alone and in lots of other passages that that we're to keep this unity that God has for us, 
that we're to realize that whenever we trust Christ, we join with a host of other people that, that may go to places that have different adjectives hanging over the door or may have different perspectives of theology that go beyond the reality of the good news of who Jesus is. And we're to do that through the bond of peace, meaning that there is supposed to be this, this peaceful, unified bond that we have in Jesus. And we need to realize that that comes again through the good news of who he is and what he's done. Now, I want you to realize that all of this centers around the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we're not talking about watering down the truth, that, that we are sinners, that we're separated from God because of our sin, that we deserve punishment for that, but we are talking about the reality, therefore, of how God decided to reconcile us to him. He, he didn't leave us in his sin, but he came from heaven in the form of his son, Jesus, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, like if you had cancer in your body, and I could literally take that cancer out of your body, place it in mine, and die in your place. Physically, that's what Jesus did for our sins. And he simply tells us that we must trust him, that we must believe who he is and what he's done, like you're trusting these chairs to hold you up, and like you're trusting your car to start today after the picnic, and you're trusting me to be done in time so we can have the baptism and, and go to the picnic. I mean, trust it, faith, belief is a reality of our lives and it is the reality of how we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about the fact that whenever we trust him, whenever we believe who he is and what he's done for us, we enter into this incredible relationship and, and yet we sometimes, too often as Christians, just have not appreciated the unity that we have. Um, I can make fun of Baptists because I grew up one, okay? I grew up in a little church that was in the hills of western Pennsylvania. Fortunately, we had a loving pastor. I was called to ministry in that place, but it was a legalistic place. I mean, they added things to God's word, said that if you're a good Christian, you do this and do this and do this, and you don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. I saw a lot of my friends literally walk away from church because they just couldn't live up to those expectations. And and sometimes we put artificial standards even in the people that we want to fellowship with and enjoy. So this is, this is a story that comes from a Christian comedian. He says he's walking along one day and he sees this guy in a bridge about to jump. He says, hey, wait a minute, don't, don't jump. He says, God loves you. The guy says, I, 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 I don't know, does God love me? And the guy said, do you believe in God? He says, yeah, I believe in God. He said, well, are you a Christian? He says, yes, I'm a Christian. He said, what kind of Christian, a Catholic or a Protestant? And the guy said, I'm a Protestant, and this guy says, me too. And he said, well, what franchise are you? He said, are you a Baptist or something else? He said, I'm a Baptist. He said, me too. He said, wait a minute, are you a Northern Baptist or a Southern Baptist? He said, I'm a Northern Baptist. And the guy said, me too. And he said, well, wait a minute, are you a Northern Conservative Baptist or a Northern Liberal Baptist? He says, well, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. And the guy said, me too. He says, but wait a minute, are you a Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or are you a Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He says, oh, I'm a Northern Conservative, Great Lakes Baptist region. And he said, me too. And then he said, wait a minute, are you a Northern Conservative, Great Lakes Region Baptist Council of 1912? Or are you a Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Council of 1849? And he says, I'm a Northern Baptist, Great Lakes Conservative Council of 1912. And the guy said, die, heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> because you get the idea, right? That... There's just there's, there's things that sometimes we set up as external standards that say these are our lines of fellowship. These are our lines of connection. 
These are the ways that we will cooperate and work with and love other people if they're just like us. And friends, I'm here to tell you that that we never want to water down the gospel. We never want to water down the truth of what the Bible teaches us. I, I Please don't hear that from me. But we do, as followers of Jesus Christ, want to realize that if somebody else is trusting him as their savior, if someone else has made a commitment of faith to follow him and truly is a believer, then we are connected with them. We are one with them and we probably spend too much of our time thinking about our differences instead of thinking about how we are connected in Christ. Now that's why Paul writes this. That's why he says here in verse three, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It says there is one body, and we look at all of those things, you can fill them in your outline this morning, meaning that, that God has created one church out of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, out of, out of people from all different kinds of backgrounds and skin colors and, and, and different statuses in life. There's, there's this one body, this one universal church that's made up of all true believers in Jesus, and there's also one spirit. You realize that, that there's, there's not many different little Christian spirits running around. There's not several different Holy Spirits, but there is, there is one spirit that I believe the Bible teaches clearly who indwells us, who brings us into faith in Jesus when we trust him. And so when a person makes a commitment of faith in Christ, the Bible tells us that, that God's Holy Spirit dwells in him. The Bible even says that, that you can't say you're a follower of Christ without the spirit of Christ dwelling within you. And so as we enter into this relationship with Jesus, as we become part of the church, this one body through one spirit, guess what? We have, we have one hope, meaning that, that no matter how bad this world is, no matter how difficult things get, no matter what happens around us, that, that we know there is eternal life waiting for us in Jesus in heaven someday that we know we enter into that eternal life through Christ. And, and as it begins now and continues forever, there aren't different levels of heaven. There aren't awaiting places that, that we have to be good enough to try to, to make it through to get to that point where we're gonna be to heaven someday. No, there's one hope because we follow one Lord, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. And man, the book of Ephesians is so, so poignant about that. I mean, if you, if you want some time this afternoon just to, to, to understand the truth of who Jesus is, read Ephesians chapter one and chapter two and chapter three about the blessings of how we understand who Jesus is in our lives and realize that, that it all happens because we have one faith. I mean, we get to a point in our lives where we have to say, I'm either gonna trust my good works or my good looks or my something to get myself to heaven or I'm gonna trust Jesus. It's only by trusting him who said I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life that we come to faith in God, that we come to a belief in eternal life, that we understand that we're gonna have that hope in heaven someday. And as we realize that, that there are not many roads up the same mountain to God, but, but there's only one way to come to God and that's through Jesus, the Bible says here that we also have one baptism. Now, scholars disagree about whether this is spirit baptism or whether it's water baptism. I'm not smart enough to know, so I'm not gonna tell you it's one or the other. I think it could actually be both. That when we come to Christ, the Spirit brings us into a relationship with him, that we're baptized, that we're immersed in his Spirit, and, and we live out the life of Christ because his Holy Spirit lives in us. But also, there are gonna be people who are gonna be baptized today that aren't going to be telling you different stories, they're gonna be telling you the same story in different ways. That they believe that Jesus died for their sins, he was buried, 
but he rose again. He's alive. He offered them eternal life, and, and they trust in him. They believe in him. And so, well, people baptize different ways and sprinkle and immerse and, and all that other stuff. I realize the one baptism is that outward demonstration that we believe the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done because we believe, as this passage says, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, you know that, that we don't believe in three gods. If you talk to people that are following the religion of Islam, sometimes they will say, I can't believe in your gods because you worship three of them. And it means they don't understand. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God who's revealed himself as a creator, loving, heavenly father, who's revealed himself as a son who came and took our sins upon himself, who's revealed himself as, as a Holy Spirit who indwells in us, and the theology in this passage, <clears throat> excuse me, the theology in this passage bears that out because it says this one God and Father is over all, meaning that he sovereignly still oversees all the junk in this world, that he is through all, meaning that he wants to live out his life through us because people are supposed to see Jesus in our lives, and he is in all, meaning that his spirit resides within all of us, listen carefully, all of us who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now again, please don't hear something I'm not saying. I'm not saying that everybody who calls himself a Christian truly is. I'm not saying that everybody who goes to church is a Christian. I'm not saying that just because somebody says they are something doesn't really mean they are. There are hypocrites in every level of life and there are people that are misled and think they may believe something and they haven't really understood the depth of it. I just want you to realize we are talking about true people who have truly trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're trusting in him to give eternal life and therefore no matter what church building they're in or what doctrinal differences they may have over things that could be important to us, that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ that they are fellow believers. And we're not talking just about the people around us in other gospel-preaching churches or even in, in some churches that, that may have, have ignored the gospel and there's still believers in them around us. We're talking about the people that have lived before us. We're talking about apostles and evangelists and church fathers and mothers and priests and monks and reformers and rebels and kings and commoners and, 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 and thousands upon thousands of people who who truly understood that good news of Jesus and said they are gonna count on him as the one who saves them from the penalty of their sins and they are just like us, part of this body of Christ who understood that we have one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism because we worship one God. And let's admit it though, too often, so many times, we divide because we don't agree with the doctrine of a church or we don't agree with the understanding of another believer or we find ourselves at odds with somebody and we say, hey, you know what? I'm not gonna have fellowship with them. I'm not gonna be united with them. And, and when we say that, we're really tipping our hand and realizing that, that we don't understand that, there's the idea, we can't create unity. We can't create unity. We either maintain the unity that God has already given to us or we mess it up in life. We show that we haven't understood that we are one and we should live at one. And I realize that this is wading and treading on difficult territory, but you know what? Your neighbor who goes to another place to worship but knows Jesus is your brother or sister in Christ. And 
the coworkers that, that may still be incognito because you're not really supposed to talk about spiritual things at work are really your brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of the joy of what I get to do and Lori gets to do as we travel from place to place is we see different expressions of Christianity. We see different expressions of truth. We see people that, that have some amazing distinctives, but we realize the things that distinguish us are not nearly as important as the person who unites us, and that's Jesus. Now, for where I come from, that would deserve an amen, by the way. Just amen, all right. Just want you to know that that's not a bad thing to do once in a while because it makes me aware that you're awake and you believe what I'm saying and, and I'm just showing you the truth of what scripture is communicating. Lori actually says it better than I do. She says, you know, since we're gonna live in heaven with so many people someday, doesn't it make sense we'd wanna get to know them a little bit more down here? Amen, that's right. I mean, because whenever we realize that there is this eternal bond that exists now, we have the opportunity to learn how to find that and how to connect with that and how to learn how to live with that. And, and with all that evidence, Paul is saying that we're to live as one. Now look at verses one and two with me again. Because he says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Matter of fact, the word urge is a word that means to get down on your knees and, and to plead, like when I pleaded for Lori to marry me 30-some years ago. It just means I, I, I want this. I believe this is true. I urge you, Paul is saying. And whenever he says that, he says, I want you to do that because you have this calling from God, this calling that comes around the truth of the gospel, and that's where the joy of being part of the church of Jesus Christ, the connections that we have with other believers, and frankly, the reality that you're connected with, with lots of other good people and other good churches all over the country, I hope will be an encouragement to you today. Now again, your church is part of this movement of churches we call Converge. We converge around the cross, we converge around the gospel, we come together because we want other people to see who Jesus is. And in doing that, those connections are because we believe the Bible is God's word, Jesus is God's son, salvation is by God's grace through faith alone, and, and we should probably be telling people about that. I just want you to know that while we're talking about a whole lot broader things today than just our movement of churches, I, I, I gotta tell you that, that sometimes I'm finding that even our churches in Converge don't know each other and don't appreciate each other as much as we could and don't understand the reality of how we're connected with each other. That's why if you wanna go to our website, okay, this is shameless, kinda commercial, but this is the only deal you're gonna get from me this morning, is on the bottom right-hand side of our website for Converge Northeast, we're one of 11 different districts in Converge, you can sign up to get a weekly newsletter about things that God is doing in the kingdom through Converge. My guess is one of these next weeks ahead you'll see pictures of your baptism on that, that people all over the country, all over the world will be able to rejoice with you about what God's doing here. Also, there's a place to sign up for, for a magazine that you can get. It comes out quarterly. I mean, again, I feel like I'm giving you an advertisement here. But, but you need to realize that you're part of something bigger than who you are. You need to realize that that, that you're not the only gospel-preaching church in Connecticut. You know that, don't you? That you're not the only place that's communicating the truth of Jesus right now, that, that there are other wonderful places and other people that are part of our movement, and frankly, not part of our movement, but are part of the church of Jesus Christ, who want to communicate and show his love and usher in his kingdom, and over and over again, as we find that a challenge, 
because sometimes it's hard enough just to get along in our families, isn't it? And sometimes it's hard enough to <clears throat> just navigate the realities of, of church life. And, and sometimes it's hard to see beyond what our own horizons are or our own perspectives are. Paul says that can happen if we do that with, with what he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I want you to realize today that if you're sensing any kind of division in your marriage, with your kids, with friends, with family, in a church, any place else, this is a pretty good little deal for you right now because Paul says that you can be unified and you can live out the unity that's there if you have humility because you know what, friends? Pride does not promote unity. He says we're to be gentle with each other, meaning that we don't get rude or harsh when we don't get our own way. And he says we're to be patient with each other because we don't give up when things don't go well. We don't take our bats and balls and go home whenever things don't go the way we want them to in marriage or family or friendships or churches if we really want to promote the unity that we have in Christ. And yet he says in all of that, we bear with one another in love living out the reality of who Jesus is, understanding that he came to show God's love to this world. And guess what? The world doesn't see God's love if they don't see ours. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate and did beautifully in John 13, verses 35 and 34. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, what? Love one another. It's okay to talk in church when I ask a question. He says in John 15, love one another as I have loved you so you must what? Love one another. And then in John 17, an amazing passage where he prays for himself in a high priestly prayer. And he prays for his 12 disciples. He prays for you. Did you know that? He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't it amazing that Jesus prayed for you, he prayed for me? Not that we would create unity, but we would sense the unity that he gives to us. Not that we would decide that we have everything all together and therefore we can judge and point fingers at everybody else and but we would decide that we're gonna understand the truth of the gospel, live out that gospel with the Holy Spirit guiding our lives and realizing that as God gives us the opportunity to do that and share that in our lives, that that's how the world will see that Jesus is real. Now again, there may be choices of where we worship. There may be choices of preference about how we do some of the things we do. We have that right and we have that distinctive and God has created us with diversity, but as we have those distinctives, the idea of love and care and patience and kindness and gentleness are the kind of things that the world needs to see right now that we have in Christ. A couple of years ago, you may remember there was a story that swept across the world about 21 Coptic Christians who were martyred because of their faith. Now, I realize this has been a long time ago, but just a few months ago, I started to read some of the details of those 21 men who, who were given the death sentence, literally, when they were traveling in Libya. It turns out they were actually working tradesmen on a construction job, and even though the news called them 21 Coptic Christians, only 20 of them 
came from this branch of Christianity in Egypt. In Egypt. The Coptic church is a traditional church. It's, it's not the bastion of fundamentalism, of evangelicalism in, in Egypt. It's, it's, it's a much more traditional mainline group of people like the Catholic or Orthodox church would be in our understanding. But these 20 men were traveling tradesmen working on a construction job, and their murder made an incredible difference in many people's lives. It says, captured without resistance and paraded before cameras, the executioners demanded that each man identify his religious allegiance. And when given the chance to deny Christ and possibly live with a knife held to their throats, each one of those 20, 20 brave Coptic Christians declared the name of Jesus. And for that, each was executed. They refused to deny their faith in the face of evil. Now, there were 21 men that were executed that day. Only 20 of them were native Egyptians from Egypt, Coptic Christians who gave their life for Christ. The other guy was from the African nation of Chad. And guess what? He was not a Christian when he began working with these 20 guys. He was not a follower of Jesus, and yet when he saw not only how they lived, but how they were willing to die for their faith, he remained with his co-workers, and with his last words, the article says, declared the Lord's name as his savior. He said this, I quote, I stand with my brothers, and I declare my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, that 21st person gave his life for Christ. Is it not too much for us to live for him if people are willing to die for him? Is it not too much for us to say that sometimes God works outside of our boxes or he's working in other ways that we may not have understood or even appreciated before? But if he's working, if that message is centered on the good news of Jesus Christ, then I believe, I truly believe, and I want to encourage Valley Brook Church to continue to stand on the unity that we have in Christ, maintain that unity, live that unity, proclaim that unity, and just as your friend and brother in Jesus, can I also say, try not to mess it up, okay? Let's pray. As we bow our heads and as we close our eyes, Lord, we, we acknowledge that we do mess it up sometimes. I've messed it up. Other people in this room have messed it up. We've divided, we've judged, we've done all kinds of things that, that are not pleasing to you, and so we confess that. And we turn from that, Lord, and we look at this passage of Scripture and we say, help us to live in the unity that Christ has given to us. Help us to live around the truth of the gospel. Help us to understand that that's where our marching orders come from and, and our strength comes from you, O oh Lord. And help us to realize that, Father, there are other believers in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and there are people all around us that want to continue to show the truth of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that it won't just be the leaders of this church that understand that message today, but I pray and ask, I implore, I plead in the name of Jesus and his authority that there would be dozens of us in this room today that say, I want to live so people see Jesus in my life. Father, I thank you that you are over us. I thank you that you live through us. I thank you that your spirit is in us, and I pray that people will see the love of your son Jesus in incredible ways through this church, and as you have done that in the past, I pray that you would ever more impress upon their hearts to do that in the future. As a matter of fact, as we prepare to celebrate communion, Lord, I pray that if there are divisions among us, if there are relationships that need to be changed, if there is hostility or judgment that we might have for other people in this room or outside of this room, 
that we would confess that and determine to repent from that also and deal with that. And I pray, Father, that as we do, the world will see Jesus. And I pray that as Clark will come and lead us in communion, that those who are in this room that may be trying to decide whether they want to follow him will in their own hearts and minds say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you as my Savior, and I want to become one with these brothers and sisters in this place. Father, I thank you that your spirit continues to lead us, continues to guide us, and I pray that he would speak to us very clearly during this time of communion, we pray in Jesus' name and all in agreement, said in unity, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.